seated. And we'll turn to Daniel chapter 2 this evening, Sunday night. We go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and tonight we come to Daniel uh, chapter 2 and that journey. If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, just flag one of the guys coming up the aisle right now, and they'll be happy to get a Bible into your hand. If you don't own a Bible, we want everyone to own a Bible. God wants everyone to own and know their Bible. Please make that a gift from the Lord to you uh, this evening. In studying chapter 1 of the book of Daniel, we really are provided with um, an invaluable uh, look at Daniel, his character, his relationship with God, in a chapter that is really uh, autobiographical. We get to know a little bit about the man, even though he was very much a young man, and we'll see glimpses of his life uh, throughout the 12 chapters. But that is firmly put into place. And then in chapters 12, uh, 2 through 12, to the end of the book, we really now in earnest begin to study uh, him as he operates in his calling of God upon his life as a servant of the Lord and as one who reveals mysteries and uh, uh, on behalf of God in that context of of Babylon and as kind of a right-hand man to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Remembering that uh, Daniel did receive, as we saw in uh, verse 17 of chapter 1, that he, God gave him extraordinary gifting along with his other three Jewish brethren, but he was given kind of a, a special supernatural understanding of all visions and dreams. And so here now, uh, uh, so it begins in uh, what is going to be the 70 plus years of his life in, in that capacity for God in Babylon and really into the Medo-Persian Empire as well. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had, had dreams, and you see that word dreams is uh, plural. Uh, he, he is having dreams, only uh, plural, in the sense that he is having the same dream over and over again. It is a single dream that he seems to be having night after night, and uh, he can't uh, shake it, and the, the dream is having such a, a tremendous impact upon him. He has a sense that there is a significance to it uh, beyond our nonsensical dreams that we all have of uh, bears chasing us through the woods or whatever your nightmare might be. Or, um, but uh, he had these dreams and, and his re response to the dreams, this, this dream repeated over and over again, was his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. So this dream is leaving him unable to sleep related to his curiosity to know what in the world uh, it, it means. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had a dream that, uh, that you've lost sleep over. Usually we wake up and they're, again, they're silly things and we go on about our business. But uh, here he has a sense that this is something that's significant. And so, being the king, he then gave the command to uh, call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. And so, this is, uh, it isn't unlikely that he calls them in the middle of the night. Could have been two or three in the morning, midnight, after he's dreamed the dream now, however many times. And now he calls for all of these men that constituted the wise men of uh, Babylon. 
And after all, this is what he kept them uh, on salary for, kept them fed, kept them clothed, kept them on staff for this very purpose that they would be able to solve these kind of things uh, for him. And so they were kind of the source of wisdom for uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the magicians were, uh, each one of them has their own kind of category in all of this. Magicians were kind of students of all of these uh, vast volumes that were written in those days, they exist today as well, of uh, the kind of spells and the kind of, uh, of, of uh, 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 supernatural phenomenon that would occur, and then you would look at that phenomenon, you would go to these volumes, and then look up that phenomenon, and then find out uh, what is the significance of it, what is it, it communicating. And the magicians were kind of in that, that category of understanding that. The astrologers were those who looked to the stars to try and tell the future. It speaks of the sorcerers here. These were people who were actually uh, would cast spells and incantations upon people. And then the Chaldeans were uh, the people that came from a certain region of the Babylonian Empire who were renowned for their wisdom. So he calls all of them, all hands on deck. Uh, he finally wants to know once and for all, what is it that this, uh, this dream, the significance of this dream? Well, listen, if that's the source of your wisdom, uh, you know, magicians, sorcerers, uh, the Chaldeans, and, and uh, uh, the astrologers, then it, it, is, it, it reveals to us about Babylon what we ought to know about Babylon, and it was a highly, highly uh, demonic place. And so, of course, as Christians, we don't have, take any part in any of those means of you know, seances or horoscopes or uh, palm reading or any of this kind of stuff for knowing the future or knowing anything about our lives. I mean, what a folly it would be for any Christian to be engaged in that kind of stuff when we have the Bible and the Holy Spirit as a source for our wisdom and for what we need to know and anything that is troubling us uh, in life. So he calls all of them uh, together and then he communicates to them in verse 3 and he says, I have had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know uh, the dream. Their response to him is, as you might expect, the Chaldeans, they spoke to the king in Aramaic uh, on behalf of all of the wise men for sure. O king, live forever. This is how you talk to kings in those days or probably in any day. Uh, certainly kings as temperamental as Nebuchadnezzar was. Uh, so live forever and uh, uh, tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. All right, got a dream that's troubling you. Tell us the dream and we will be happy to give you uh, that interpretation. So again, they're going to fall back on all of these volumes. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar would have a dream. Uh, let's just say this silly thing that I brought up of a bear chasing him through the woods. And uh, so they would look in the books and a bear would represent one thing and the woods would represent something else. And then they would cobble together some kind of an explanation for the dream and how could anybody know whether it was uh, nonsense that they were feeding uh, to the king something that they had uh, just kind of made up and so you tell us the dream uh, we know how uh, where to go from there but we do need that dream and then we'll give you that uh, interpretation the king answered and he said to the the Chaldeans again who were representing the whole of the wise men he said my decision is firm 
If you do not make uh, known uh, uh, the dream to me, number one, uh, and then number two, and its interpretation, you will be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. I don't know if you've had a year-end review. Uh, the job that you hold, and, uh, but this is, uh, again, tough to work for a guy like this. But he tells them, he pushes back on them, and he says, no, I'm not going to give you the dream, and you give me the interpretation. I want you to give me the interpretation and the dream, and we'll see in a moment, so that he can know that they're not making something up on this. And then he, he threatens to uh, cut them up, hack them up in pieces, and make their house a dunghill, uh, their, their yard and everything they own uh, a, a garbage uh, dump. Now, this isn't an idle threat for Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the Babylonians and the Assyrians in the ancient world were known for just simply uh, hacking their enemies to pieces, I mean, in just bloodlust. Sorry if you're, uh, you know, if you're a, a Assyrian. Uh, or Babylonian, uh, we have no uh, guilty blood uh, among the Scots in human history. So we, we rise above all of that. No, the fact of the matter is it's everywhere in every lineage, so we're not picking on you uh, at all. But, uh, but nations and peoples who have been uh, at the head of power in human history, world-ruling empires at one time or another, uh, they, they, the worst uh, tended to come out uh, of them in those periods. And, and it was no different for the, the Babylonians and then the Assyrians. You might remember that when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Judah for the third and final time, uh, the king of Judah at that, uh, during that conquest was a man by, uh, uh, by the name of Zedekiah. And you remember when Nebuchadnezzar uh, caught Zedekiah as he was trying to flee from the city and his family, Zedekiah was brought before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar commanded that his sons be slain uh, before his very eyes and then commanded that his eyes would be gouged out right on the spot. So the, the final uh, image in his mind that had ever been produced by his eyes would be the death of his children uh, before him for his own sin. And, uh, but this was the kind of ruthlessness that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, had. And so they knew this is not an idle threat. And, and he said, however, if you can tell the dream in its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Uh, so he isn't, uh, he's even-handed. Uh, you, you fail to do it, I'll do this. And if you do do it, then uh, give me the dream and the interpretation. I will reward you uh, richly. So he's, he's got both, uh, he puts the stick out first and then the carrot after that. He's playing, sometimes you'll watch maybe a TV show and you've got the good cop, bad cop, but it's usually two people playing good cop, bad cop. He's playing good cop, bad cop all by himself here. Uh, this is what happens, you know, they come and play hardball and then showing a little bit of grace. And he said, therefore, um, he reiterates his, his demand there at the end of verse 6, therefore, let, uh, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Uh, they, uh, uh, they push back again. 
And they answered again and said, Let the king tell his uh, servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. So they're trying to bring him to be reasonable on all of this, and uh, he doesn't have to be reasonable, doesn't feel compelled to be at all. And so the king answered and he said, I know for certain that you're just stalling for time. Uh, because you see that my decision is firm. You know that I want both the dream and the interpretation. Now you're trying to buy time to change my mind. I'm not going to change my mind. If you do not make known, uh, do not make known the dream to me, there's only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me until uh, the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. Well, he's not a stupid man. Uh, so he looks at them, and number one, he doesn't trust them. Uh, he accuses them of, of uh, buying time to lie to him. And he declares to them that the only way he can be confident that they are giving him the proper interpretation of the dream is if they also tell him what the dream was without knowing it. And of course, that's uh, very smart uh, on, on his part. Why would he trust them for the interpretation if they couldn't supply the dream to him uh, 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 to begin with? And so this is, he draws the line here. He, he tells them that this is exactly uh, the, the, uh, what he wants. And the Chaldeans, they answered the king and they said, there's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, uh, you're asking something that nobody can ask of a, a mere man. And for that re very reason, uh, no king or lord or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the fault is not uh, on our part, in a failure to produce both the dream and the interpretation. It is on your part. Your expectation is completely unreasonable in what, what you're asking for here. And so they, they protested again. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no one who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. That's something that only the gods can reveal, not mere men, and we have no control over the gods is what they're communicating. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to this was not uh, very favorable for them. For this reason, in light of the excuses being given, the complaints, uh, the king was angry and very furious. Uh, we'll see in, in chapter 3 that Nebuchadnezzar has very much he has a temper problem. Uh, he is, has an anger problem, but who's going to tell him about it? So it just kind of keeps exploding forward. He uh, was angry, very furious, and he gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And so the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them as well. So Daniel and his companions are not present at this, uh, at this meeting, but Nebuchadnezzar's decree to literally wipe out 
the source of his wisdom uh, and, and start all over again with a new group uh, included not only those who were present with him that had come before him, but all of the wise men uh, of which Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were all a part of, of that uh, group. Uh, they were probably involved in other business uh, in, uh, related to uh, the ruling of, in their areas of responsibility related to Babylon and hadn't been called in. I, I think it's, it, it isn't unlikely that Remember that when they were brought before the king in chapter 1 and they excelled all of their contemporaries, all of the other slaves that had been brought from uh, Judah and other parts of the world and then trained for the three years in, in, the, in the education of Babylon, that they excelled all of, their, uh, all of the people in that category. Uh, but it doesn't mean that they, they then graduated into the, the kind of the settled and established ranks of, of these wise men and were immediately recognized as something uh, significant. They will be by the end of this chapter, but that hadn't happened yet. And so uh, they weren't called in by uh, those that had been, you know, had more time and title, greater sen- uh, seniority in, in, in this category. So they, they weren't present, but they were put on, on the list in order to, uh, for them to uh, be uh, slain. And so uh, the decree went out uh, and uh, the slaying began. So apparently Nebuchadnezzar is very serious about finding out what this dream means. I mean, it's really uh, bothering uh, 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 him. And uh, so then with counsel and wisdom, some, uh, Daniel becomes aware of the fact that this decree uh, has been given and uh, with uh, the kind of poise and tact that is going to represent him here in his youth, but will represent him all of his life, he comes to Arioch, who is the, the captain of the king's guard, who had been assigned the responsibility of, of killing all of the king's wise men. Uh, with wi- uh, counsel and wisdom, Daniel uh, came to Arioch, answered him, and, and asked him, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Uh, Daniel doesn't question uh, the, it, it, though it, it certainly didn't sit well with him. But he, he didn't question the fact that the king uh, was capable of slaughtering his, his uh, wise men uh, because of their failure to meet this expectation in his life. What the, the question that Daniel asks of him is, uh, what's the hurry? Uh, why does this ha- have to happen so quickly? And probably in Daniel's mind, is why, why did the decree go out to kill all of the wise men when all of the wise men, including Daniel and his friends, had not been pulled in uh, for an opportunity to provide the, interp- uh, the dream, knowledge of the dream, and then the interpretation. And then Arioch made the decision uh, known to Daniel, and so he supplied the entire, all of the events that happened there in the king's quarters and, and everything that, that uh, came down. And so Dan, uh, Daniel, uh, he asks for uh, evidently permission uh, to be brought before the king in order to ask for more time that he might be able to uh, seek God for uh, the dream and the interpretation. The, again, we see 
the, the winsomeness of uh, Daniel's godly character that has really bought him a kind of gracious margins among a pretty ruthless group of people as leaders. Uh, Arioch, when he's approached by Daniel, his orders were to kill Daniel and the others, but he, he doesn't. Uh, and and uh, here Daniel even gains an, an audience with, uh, with King Nebuchadnezzar after the decree had been given out. So Daniel, even at a young age, is held in, in high esteem among the Babylonian officials. And so verse 16, Daniel went in. He asked the king simply to give him some time. He doesn't uh, try like the others did to undo his thinking. He doesn't try to get him to lessen his demand to know both the dream and the interpretation. That's not what he asked for. He just asked for a little bit more time that he might tell the king the interpretation. And obviously, he is, he is given that time. And then Daniel went, uh, made a beeline evidently to his house, and he made the decision uh, then all of these events known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions. Now, it's interesting that the three are mentioned here in their Hebrew names, not by their Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Uh, because uh, what they, Daniel's going to pull them in, into uh, their capacity is not going to be the capacity of representing the kingdom of Babylon, but in the capacity of seeking the face of God, the only one, uh, the God of the Bible who could, could supply uh, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, demand. And so he informs them, and he doesn't merely inform them. You notice that uh, word, first word of verse 18, that, that's a reason word. He tells them, brings them up to speed on everything in order that they might seek the mercies, uh, seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, these two things, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So he tells them this, and he says, I'm telling you what's going on here for the purpose of prayer, uh, so that we can now uh, seek God, not on the basis of our own righteousness, or we're better than all of the other wise men, uh, or better than all of the pagan worshipers in Babylon, uh, it, it, despite the fact that they were. Uh, better than all of them by virtue of their relationship with God and how they conducted themselves. But no one approaches the throne of God on the basis of anything other than God's mercy and His grace, uh, especially when we're seeking Him for something where our very lives hang in the balance. We're going to say, God, would you please get me out of this terrible situation because I'm reading through the Bible in a year. And uh, no, it, it, is a, it, it is a call, Lord, uh, just on the basis of your graces and your mercy, would you please uh, re reveal these things to us? So we'll see the first thing, Daniel's first instinct in reactions uh, spiritually is to go to prayer. And we'll see this continually through the book. Daniel was, we, I don't think we, uh, you, anybody knows anything about Daniel except to realize that uh, he was uh, a, man, uh, a man of prayer. And so uh, they uh, then go to prayer. When it, when it declares there at the end of verse 18, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest uh, of the wise men of Babylon, I don't think that they went to God and they were pleading, God, would you please tell us the dream? Would you please tell us the interpretation or we're going to die? 
That would be me, but it wasn't Daniel and, and the other three. I think the concern that they had, because in the very next chapter, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to be thrown into a, a, a burning furnace. And they will not bow down to the idol. They just simply will not do it. So I, I don't think at it, 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 it the, the forefront of any of their thinking is that somehow their life will be, uh, supremely, that their life will be spared uh, and in, in this incident. I think their concern is that they would not be slain and destroyed with the rest of the wise men of, of Babylon. And, and slain in such a way uh, that uh, the, 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 their concern, I think, was for the glory of God here. Uh, again, they didn't, they didn't mind uh, dying at all, but they, they didn't want uh, to then die with all of these other wise men and then their God be viewed as powerless or useless in the face of this demand as all of the false gods and, and idols of, of Babylon. Their concern was for uh, the glory uh, of God in, in all of this. And so Daniel, they go to prayer. And uh, God answers that prayer, verse 19. And then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. God showed him everything. Now, so Nebuchadnezzar is having a dream. And it is a dream that comes from God. It is a dream with spiritual significance. A dream, when it has spiritual significance, it rarely does. I've never had one that had any spiritual significance at all. They were all food-related. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but a dream is a spiritual revelation that comes while we're sleeping in, in that form. Uh, so that's how Nebuchadnezzar received it. But Daniel receives both the dream and the interpretation in the form of vision. So they are wide awake. They are praying. He is alert. And he receives both the dream uh, and then what Nebuchadnezzar did not have, and that is the interpretation of the dream. And so when Daniel... Uh, received this, uh, the, the secret revealed in that night vision, he made a beeline. He ran as fast as he could, as fast as uh, the Usain Bolt, or whatever his first name is, that breaks all of those records. Man, can he run? Uh, and, and in order to tell uh, Nebuchadnezzar what he wanted to know. Doesn't tell us that he does that at all. Uh, so, that's the first sentence of the next verse. The first thing that Daniel does is he proceeds to praise the Lord uh, for the answer to prayer. God does like to hear thank yous uh, related to uh, our prayers and his answers to our prayers. And Daniel is quick to give it uh, to him. And so Daniel answered and response, just thanking, he blesses the God of heaven for this revelation. He said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Now think about the excitement. You, here you are, you're praying something to God where uh, your uh, uh, life hangs in the balance over it. Uh, and and uh, it's a very, very urgent issue. And then you receive the answer to uh, your prayer. I mean, the, the, a, an obvious and an immediate answer to prayer 
is one of the most exciting things that anyone will ever experience in life. And they have experienced it. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His, and He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. And so he's contrasting uh, God to all of the other uh, gods, false gods and idols that, uh, that were being sought by the other wise men. And then he says, I thank you and I praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might. He, he recognizes, I couldn't have come up with this dream, much less the interpretation interpretation of it in a million years. God, you gave it to me. That's amazing. And have now made known to me what we asked of you. Here it is, this celebration of answered prayer. For you have made known to us the king's demand, both in the form of the dream and the interpretation itself. And so therefore, uh, uh, Daniel, uh, he went to Arioch, who was in, in charge of the destruction of, of the wise men, and he let Arioch, uh, whom, uh, and he, he went and he said to him uh, as follows, do not destroy uh, the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Now, this is really something. Um, Concerning spiritual gifts, if the Lord has ever uh, exercised a spiritual gift through you of, the, of a prophetic kind, like a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, uh, a prophecy, an interpretation of tongues, or something like that, uh, you, you know that a lot of times when he gives us something like that, there can be a hesitation to then deliver that word of wisdom or word of knowledge or prophecy uh, to someone, because there can be sometimes that nagging doubt that, what if I'm wrong, and this really isn't from the Lord. So very very often related to spiritual gifts and the supernatural of the Christian life, God will then give us uh, that kind of a revelation, but he will give us what is known as a gift of faith. Uh, the absolute confidence and recognition, the witness to our inner man and our spirit that this is from God and I must deliver it or I will be unfaithful to God. So Daniel has supreme confidence that, that he has received, what he has received is, is from the throne of God for uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And so then Arioch, he quickly brought Daniel before the king and he said thus to the king, I have found a man. Oh, you did not. He came to you. You want, you want to go from corporal to sergeant, don't you, you little uh, weasel. But, uh, but he's a good man in general, and he's, and he's been good to Daniel. But uh, you're going to play up some things, you know. I have found a man uh, 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 of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. And uh, so Daniel's obviously brought in before the king, and, uh, and the king answered, and he said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, uh, are you able to make to, uh, known to me the dream which I have seen 
and its interpretation. So he's a little testy at this point. And, and he, he doesn't want to be bothered at all with uh, anything uh, less. He's not in the mood for it than what, what he has demanded. And then uh, Daniel answered in the presence of the king, and he said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare uh, to the king. King, it is true. You have asked something of them that is impossible in the light of the gods that, that they worship and the idols that they worship. But there is a God in heaven uh, who reveals secrets. And now, Daniel, I think even, even behind this concern for the glory of God that, that these four would, uh, 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 Jewish young men would not be slaughtered with the wise men, I think that at the even, even deeper into the core of their motivation was, Lord, this is such an opportunity for us to make you known to the king. Lord, you know how hard it is to get an audience with this guy, much less to make an impression on him. And he worships all of this goofiness and nonsense as the head of that nation. He doesn't have any respect uh, for you at all. He has conquered uh, Judah and he's conquered all of those gods and thinks that the gods that he serves are greater than you by virtue of con conquering your people. And Lord, this is an opportunity for us to introduce you to him. And here, Kevin, <laughs> you... I mean, when you love God in this way and you love people in this way, I mean, you can feel it inside of you. How excited Daniel must have been uh, to make known to the king here and introduce him now to the God of heaven who reveals secrets. And, and Daniel said, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So Daniel says, all right, you wanted a, 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 a prophet, you wanted me to, the, to, you wanted the wise men to provide to you the dream, the interpretation of the dream, but I'm going to bring you even more than that. I'm going to give you bonus points in, in this. And he, and he lets Nebuchadnezzar know now what uh, the context of the dream. In other words, God was giving Nebuchadnezzar the dream as an answer to some musings, some thoughts, worries, uh, concerns that were uh, on Nebuchadnezzar's heart. And so he says, he says, Daniel says, here's the context of, 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 of where you were and what God is communicating to you. God is making known to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days. And the latter days, as you might underline it in your Bible, it's an expression that's found 14 times in the Old Testament, and repeatedly it refers to that period in human history that immediately 
uh, precedes and then leads into the uh, f- thousand-year reign of Christ, of Messiah. It, it, it refers to uh, leading right up to the battle of Armageddon before Jesus sets up the, the kingdom age and then uh, on through into uh, uh, the new heaven and the new earth that follows uh, the thousand-year reign of Christ. So you want to know what is going to happen all the way through human history to the latter days of human history. And your dream and the visions of, uh, of your head uh, upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed uh, about what would come to pass after this. And God who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. Mm, very interesting. Here you have the most powerful man in the world, the most wealthy human being in the world at that time. There isn't anything in the whole world that he wants that he doesn't already own. So what do you buy him for Christmas? What do you, I I mean, actually it would just be an awful place to be in, in one respect, wouldn't it? I mean, nothing to look and say, wouldn't that be great? He ha- he's got all power. He has all wealth that he could imagine. And we look at it, I mean, for, I, I suppose uh, virtually all of us, the overwhelming majority of us in this room, uh, don't have that kind of wealth or power. Am I right on that? Okay, there's still a thing or two you might like if you could uh, afford it, uh, or a position that you don't have yet that you might like. So it's easy for us to look at somebody in Nebuchadnezzar's position and think, what does somebody with that kind of money and power worry about? Because our worries concerning the future are typically about um, how are we going to stay fed? How are we going to stay clothed? Are we going to be able to keep a roof over our head? Is my job secure? Uh, Things related to the children, this kind of thing. And we think because so often that's kind of the total scope of what are our concerns for the future, that that's the the big concern of those who have taken those concerns completely off of the table because of their power and their wealth. But the power and wealthy do worry, and they worry a lot. And what they worry about is what's going to happen to their wealth and their power when they die. Nobody escapes worry. And uh, uh, over uh, the future, I don't care how wealthy, how powerful, how any of us are, everybody is anxious uh, concerning the future because there is no amount of money, no amount of power that is a, a sufficient hedge against what could happen in the future. And uh, so they do worry, and he did worry about what would happen after him related to the Babylonian uh, empire. The, the, the only way a person can know peace in this world is if their source of peace is greater than everything in life that can rob them of their peace. And the only one who is greater than all of that is God. 
And that's why Jesus offers, as a part of being his disciples, uh, a peace that the world cannot understand because he is greater than everything that will come against his promises and, and, and our, our peace. And so here he is, he's worried about the future, and Daniel said, but as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Don't give us any glory for this. This was a pure act of grace that he showed us this. And then he tells Nebuchadnezzar uh, his, his dream. He said, you, O king, were watching, and behold, <laughs> picture it in your mind, a great image. I mean, it was immediately before you. And this is what he saw. This is what troubled him. And this, this great image whose splendor was excellent, it stood before you, and its form was awesome. Now, it wasn't quite in, that, uh, in the 2019 or 18. It's a little dated now, isn't it? Uh, but uh, awesome in a biblical sense. So he sees this image, and it, its splendor is excellent, and it is awe-inspiring as, as he looks at it. And then he begins to describe uh, the image. The image's head was of gold, its chest and its arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly uh, of iron and uh, partly of clay. And so here is the image, all of these metals going down from head to toe of the image. And it was a gigantic image, uh, not a G.I. Joe or, uh, uh, you know, a... Uh, uh, a Gumby. Uh, he said, you, and, and you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, uh, they collapsed. They were crushed together and became like the chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so there was no trace of them uh, was found. And the stone that struck the image, I mean, the vision isn't over. Then that stone that struck that image brought the collapse of all of it. It then became a great mountain, and it filled the entire earth. And, and Daniel says, this is the dream that you wanted to, to know as a confirmation that the interpretation uh, would be true. And now uh, we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven, and now he's, he's introducing him to God, and he's going to let the God of the Bible, him know that the God of heaven is the one that's given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And how can Nebuchadnezzar uh, fight against Daniel ascribing uh, all that he, Nebuchadnezzar has and all of the glory that he has to anyone else other than God when this is the God that has provided him with, with the, the dream and the interpretation? And he said, and wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler uh, over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, uh, characterized by 
the arms and chest of, of silver, and then another, a third kingdom uh, of, of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. And so each of these metals are representing subsequent kingdoms. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. And whereas you saw, as he turns his attention to a fifth kingdom, uh, that, that will be the kingdom in existence at the time uh, of the end of, of, of man's government in this way. Whereas you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it just as you saw the iron mixed with the ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. And as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will not mingle with the seed of men. Uh, I'm sorry, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another just as the the, uh, iron uh, does not mix with the clay. And so here he gives him uh, the dream as he uh, lays all of that out, and then he gives him uh, the interpretation of the dream. So Nebuchadnezzar is wondering what is going to happen uh, after the Babylonian Empire. What, in fact, what is going to happen uh, in terms of the empires of the world all the way uh, down to the end? And the Lord uh, reveals that uh, to him. And the beautiful thing about giving uh, Nebuchadnezzar this revelation is he supplies it not only to Nebuchadnezzar, but he supplies it to little old you and me uh, in this room uh, tonight. And because this is recorded in, in God's Word, we can have kind of the revelation of, uh, of emperors in terms of, uh, of, of, of human uh, history here. And so this great image that uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw, it represents all of the the Gentile world-ruling empires that will uh, rule the world from the time of Nebuchadnezzar all the way until the time of Jesus' return. He is the great stone that hits the image in the feet. We'll talk about that in a moment and brings all of it uh, crashing to to the ground. But this image represents all of the great Gentile world-ruling empires that will rule and up to uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar, and verses 37 and 38, that he is the head of gold, gold uh, and, and fine gold. Gold is the uh, uh, greatest value of all, of all of the metals that are mentioned here. And so Nebuchadnezzar is represented as being the greatest of all of the, uh, the heads of these uh, empires that are going to unfold in terms of just pure uh, power. You remember that Nebuchadnezzar, he was an absolute and sole monarch of the Babylonian Empire. He was the king of kings. He ruled over kings. He didn't have a senate. He didn't have a cabinet. He didn't have anyone he answered to. What he declared was, the, was absolutely the law uh, of, of the land. And so in terms of uh, of power, uh, this is he. He was represented uh, by 
the, the gold. But the Babylonian kingdom, and this was probably some disappointment to Nebuchadnezzar as he hears the interpretation, as great as it was, he was probably hoping, uh, doubtless hoping, as we'll see in chapter 3 next week, um, he was hoping that uh, the, the interpretation would be that the Babylonian empire would reign all the way to the end uh, uh, of the age. In fact, it's only going to last uh, about 70 uh, years. And so Daniel informs him, as great as the Babylonian uh, kingdom was, it would not outlast uh, man's history, but it would give way uh, to another. And the second kingdom that he describes there in verse 39 and, uh, and, and, and with the uh, symbolized by the, the silver chest and arms as he describes there in verses 15 to 28 and, and the image, the vision that was, the dream that was given. And, and here you have, uh, the, as we know historically, the representation of the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, that, uh, that followed the Babylonian uh, empire. And just as silver is inferior to gold, this second kingdom, the Medo-Persian empire, would be inferior to the Babylonian empire in terms of the pure, pure power that was wielded by uh, whoever it was that was uh, at the top of that empire. And so the two arms in the image representing the Medes and the Persians uh, joined uh, 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 by Cyrus here to defeat de- uh, Babylon. And so the power uh, of the Medo-Persian leaders uh, less pure and absolute than that of Nebuchadnezzar and so represented by the silver. In verse 39 he goes on to talk and we know historically and all of this will be made very, very clear in uh, Daniel uh, chapter 7 as we go into that. But the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, in terms of Gentile history, was followed by the Grecian or the Greek Empire, uh, symbolized here by the belly and the thighs of, of bronze. And uh, the Grecian Empire rose to prominence, of course, under Alexander the Great, uh, who we're told uh, from, by historians, uh, still in his 20s, having conquered much of the known world, uh, wept that there was uh, no more for him uh, to conquer. And so the metal symbolizing Greece as bronze, uh, the Greek soldiers, they all wore uh, brass uh, armor, had the brass helmets and breastplates and swords and and shields, and it, it symbolized the, the, the Greek empire. And then in verse 44, Daniel informs Nebuchadnezzar that another empire would then follow the Grecian empire, and it would be characterized by the legs of iron, and that it would be an empire that would, just like iron is, it would break in pieces, it would crush and it would shatter all things. And so speaking of, as we know historically, the great empire that followed the Grecian empire was the Roman empire. And, uh, and this iron speaking of kind of a military subjugation of uh, great numbers of people, uh, many, many nations over a very great territory uh, of the world. And of course, that uh, marked the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, very accurately represented by iron, uh, it crushed uh, everything that was gold or silver or bronze, uh, you know, uh, uh, before it. 
And Rome, of course, maintained uh, a peace in its empire. It was a peace known as the Pax Romana, and that was, it was the peace of Rome. It was a peace that was enforced by Roman military, and the idea was if you break Roman law or you rebel against Rome, we're going to break a you face. And, uh, and, and so uh, that was the Rome. It, it gained power and it held on to power. Uh, by the strength of its, its military and, it, and, its, and its will. And then very interestingly, because we, historically, all of these things look back in history for us. But from the time of the Roman Empire, there has been no world-ruling empire among the Gentile uh, nations on a par with the Roman Empire. There have been flashes of power that have been territorial uh, through regions of the world, but nothing that dominated uh, the world. And so what he describes here in verses 41 to 43 is yet future uh, for us. And so is of great uh, interest uh, to us in, in terms of being the final world-ruling empire that will exist immediately before Jesus' second coming. And, and he describes it as a characterized by feet and toes made up partly of clay and partly of iron. Yuck. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's what it, uh, that's what it uh, uh, was. Now, the, the characteristics of this, this final world-ruling empire uh, that is yet future for us is fascinating as it's revealed in, in, the, in the passage. Uh, the ten toes... Uh, represent ten kings or ten leaders of ten nations or kingdoms. And uh, this will be brought into greater detail in chapter 7 of Daniel. Uh, we are given greater insight into it in the book of Revelation to tie all of these pieces together. One of the things that's interesting about, about the study of prophecy, there isn't like, let's turn to the book of prophecy. And it's all right there for us, just linear for us to go uh, straight through. Uh, prophecy is, is found in Isaiah. It's, it's uh, found in Jeremiah. It is, it is found in, uh, in the Psalms. Prophecy is found here in Daniel. It's found in Revelation. It's found in Matthew. It's found in First and Second Thessalonians. And that's why it requires a little bit of work to put the entire thing together to understand it uh, comprehensively. So, you know, don't get frustrated that it takes some time to understand what the Bible says about what it refers to as the last days. It, it, can, t it can take some time to get that, that figured out. But later in, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 24, then in Revelation chapter 17, verse 12, uh, th uh, these, along with what we see here of, of the ten toes, are, are the foundation for concluding that these ten toes represent ten kings or ten uh, nations. And you notice that uh, of these, uh, the, these feet, that uh, it has iron in it in verse 41 meaning that it will have, this final world-ruling empire will have a strong identity with the old Roman Empire. The final world-ruling empire is not going to come out of Russia. It is not going to come out of Argentina. It's not going to come out of Australia. It's not going to come out of the United States. 
It is going to come out of the old uh, Roman Empire. It is what many people call, it'll be a revived Roman Empire. You notice his description is that the iron is mixed with ceramic clay. And so the idea is that some of the toes uh, are made up of iron, some of the toes are then made up of what is comparatively brittle or fragile, and that is ceramic uh, clay. And so the, this description makes clear to us concerning this uh, final empire that it's going to be a federation of nations as opposed to just a single powerful realm like the previous world ruling uh, empires. And that some of the nations within this federation of nations uh, will be strong and others will be comparatively weak. And all of this is exactly as you see it today in what is known as the European uh, Union. You have strong nations that are a part of uh, the European Union, and the European Union is set uh, geographically in exactly the right spot in the place of the old Roman Empire, very much influenced by iron. But, but in that European Union, you have strong nations like uh, in terms of influence, in terms of economy, in terms of military might, in the form of Germany and France. And then you have uh, comparatively weak nations in those realms such as Greece or Spain and, and Italy. And of course, Italy, France, Germany, Greece, and Spain, they were all a part of the old uh, Roman Empire. And, and as is the case with toes and feet, uh, don't take off your shoes to examine it uh, if you can't. But uh, the toes are united together in that they are all a part of the same foot. But while they're a part of the same foot, the same entity, they maintain an individual identity. And verse 43 uh, helps us out uh, here. But they will not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay. In other words, these nations are going to uh, make up a single empire in the last days. But Daniel is telling us, as, as John tells us in the Revelation, they will not become one people. Uh, that within this unity, they're going to maintain separate cultures, their own national identities, and again, all of this is exactly as we see it in uh, the European un Union today. It is interesting uh, to realize that the European nations united out of the uh, old Roman Empire, that uh, the precursor to the European Union was uh, the, uh, the, uh, it came into existence by the signing of, what, uh, of the Treaty of Rome in 1957. And, and the purpose of the European Union it was, is twofold. Number one, to allow Europe to be able to compete economically with the rest of the world and economic freedom within the boundaries of that, uh, that union. Uh, and then also in order to protect it from uh, division and wars from within. A lot of wars have been fought in Europe between all of these nations against one another. And one of the great things about the Roman Empire is it opened up all of the borders of Europe so that trade and, and everyone could prosper uh, under the Roman Empire, but nobody, none of these smaller nations could go to war with one another and keep the entire uh, continent uh, uh, fighting one another. And the idea between the creation of the European 
European Union in this modern day was in order to create the same things, to allow uh, economic prosperity for the entire continent to occur, but then also to put out all of these fires of these wars that have been fought between the various nations uh, of, of Europe, and it was designed in order to uh, produce that. Some of the nations, as, as, as we see, related to the European Union in terms of being uh, 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 looking strongly like this, some of those nations are strong, some are weak, as I've mentioned. They're united together, but each of the nations maintains an uh, individual identity. Uh, ultimately, we know from Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 13 that the Antichrist will gain control uh, over, uh, uh, over Europe uh, toward this end. Somehow this is all going to filter out into where the, the number that cons- of nations that constitutes this union ultimately will appears to will winnow down into the realm of 10 rather than the 23 or whatever they are uh, today. And it will be the Antichrist that will make uh, this the, uh, the uh, world-ruling uh, empire. Remember that the rapture is going to occur prior to the revelation of the Antichrist. The revelation of the Antichrist in the end time scenario comes with the breaking of the first seal of the book of Revelation. And even though the first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period, things are going to go very, very great for the Antichrist, very great for the world. They're going to say, Christians, Mishmans, who needed them? I'm glad they're all gone. Man, the economy is booming. It's going to go great for them. Uh, But even though the first three and a half years are going to be marked by prosperity and peace, the revelation of the Antichrist still constitutes the wrath of God. And uh, we must be gone from the earth before God pours his wrath out upon the earth because we are not appointed to, uh, to wrath as, as Christians. And so, uh, and then with this description of this, that's given to us of this final world-ruling empire, that's not the end of the vision. We're told in verse 44, and in the days of these kings, uh, this whole progression of five kings and kingdoms, the God of heaven, uh, he will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left uh, to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all of these kingdoms, bring an end to uh, man's governments and this government uh, that God is going to establish by virtue of this, uh, this stone is going to stand forever. And inasmuch as you saw the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, uh, and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, uh, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. It is interesting to realize in the vision that when this great stone and Jesus is referred to uh, repeatedly in the Bible as, as the Messiah as a stone, as a rock, 
And uh, you notice that at Jesus' second coming, he, the second coming isn't going to occur in the time of the Babylonian Empire. Otherwise, the stone would come out of nowhere and hit the image in the head. He's not going to come during the Medo-Persians. He doesn't hit the image in the chest or uh, the Grecian Empire or the Roman Empire. Jesus' second coming is going to occur when this confederation of nations out of the old Rem- Roman Empire is in power and he will bring the entire image of man's government to an end by striking it at the time that 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 exists and and brings man's government to an end for which i say hallelujah and if if we need if we need any more proof that we are, cannot govern ourselves in this world, then I don't think we're thinking people. Uh, it'll be good to have uh, uh, the Lord reign and establish his reign in, in the earth. And God's commentary on all of this, he gives the dream and, and the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. And then but Daniel adds the, the, the commentary from the Lord. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he's, nobody's going to get hacked into pieces, uh, at least of all Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar recognized this is the dream, this is the interpretation, and he fell on his face. Uh, we'll get a little more introduced to Nebuchadnezzar as we go through. Uh, it's not like he bowed down to people on a regular basis, but I mean, he is completely overwhelmed uh, that Daniel has provided the dream and the interpretation to him in this way. He prostra- uh, uh, prostrates himself before Daniel and then commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. He's going to publicly honor him for having provided this to him and publicly honor Daniel's God as a result. And the king answered Daniel and he said, truly your God is the God of gods. He is not the God of gods. He is the only God. He is the true and the living God. When the, when the, the, the Ten Commandments says that we shall ha- you shall have no other God before me, the idea is, all right, you can worship a lot of other things in life as long as you keep God number one. That's a pagan view of, uh, of gods, but that's the view that Nebuchadnezzar had. All right, your God is the great God. I'm going to put him at the top of all of these uh, other gods. But hey, it's a start. Before we get through Daniel, he's going to know there is no other God but the true and the living uh, God. But it is a start. He does the best that he can at, at this particular point in time. And uh, your God is the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets since you could reveal this secret. And the king promoted Daniel and gave him great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of, of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel now now, even at this young age, becomes second in power in the Babylonian Empire, really second only to Nebuchadnezzar himself. And then also, Daniel petitioned the king, and the king then set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So Daniel, uh, in his humility and modesty, he informs the king that this uh, interpretation, uh, the dream and the interpretation wasn't just given to me. 
There were four of us that were engaged in prayer and seeking God for this, and these are the other four, and he probably requested that these three young Jewish men would become his assistants in the realm that he had been promoted to, and uh, of course Nebuchadnezzar would, uh, this was God's doing, but Nebuchadnezzar would have given him anything at this point, and so they were elevated as a result of, of just God's glory and favor upon their lives. Uh, and and uh, so they uh, ruled over the affairs of the province of, Bab- uh, 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 province of Babylon, but uh, Daniel uh, sat in the gate. And so this beautiful, uh, beautiful chapter that uh, provides not only Nebuchadnezzar, but provides us with an understanding of human history and how it's going to end from the time of the Babylonian Empire all the way through to the end. And as sure as those other four empires have come and gone, this final world-ruling empire is going to come and go, and Jesus is going to return at the time of that final world-ruling empire that is going to come out of the remnant of Rome. The reason that this is important to understand is that when you know the end of the story, you're able to live life with a peace while the events are unfolding that we would never otherwise possess. And God wants us to know what the end of the story is. So that when you're watching, as I do, I, I tape Brett Bear every, every day, and then I watch him in the evening. He seems to be the most even-handed uh, on, on things today. And in terms of the news, I really like that panel, but this really isn't an advertisement for Brett Bear's news. But, but I do watch that on a daily basis, and perhaps you watch news too. And to realize that when you watch the news, It should never be a cause for anxiousness or the whole world is going to end. To read the newspaper, to look at news on the internet, to watch the news on television, you have to remember to watch that always as a prophecy update because that is exactly what it is as God is moving history right toward what He has described in His Word. So I'm going to shock you tonight. I'm going to close. I'm going to make it worth being four minutes late. You're ready to be shocked? Are you ready to be blessed? The world is not going to end because of man-made global warming. It is, it is going to end this way. You have to, I'm a product of the, the 1970s, really. And uh, boy, if you lived in the 1970s, you remember overpopulation, overpopulation. There's not going to be any food. We're all going to starve to death. The world can't handle the population. And we're all going to die and, and uh, all of this. And this went on for years and decades. And this drumbeat, drumbeat, everybody's frantic. Everybody's so alarmed. We've got to control the population. It's going to be the end of the world, mankind, the world as we know it. Uh, and then that has gone by the way, and it's all, every bit is shrill, in fact, more shrill today on this issue. And it's easy for people to get caught up in all of it and to begin to think all of these theories that people are determined, who are determined to worry about something, 
uh, as going to produce the end of the world. And if you don't know God, you ought to be worried about everything in the world. But for someone who does know God, to be able to look at all of this, take it with a grain of salt, and to understand, I can chill while this is unfolding and going on. I know how it ends, and this is how it ends. This beautiful, beautiful prophecy, and the witness of prophecy and fulfilled prophecy to the divine inspiration of the Scriptures. Let's stand together now, and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you. This is just a mind-boggling revelation in your word. And some of us have heard it uh, decades and decades ago, and it is anchored how we process uh, life from that moment forward. And we, Lord, who have had this, have that place within our lives, give you thanks for uh, the sanity, the peace, the stability that is put within our lives as a result. And we pray, Lord, for each person that has perhaps heard this for the very first time tonight, that it would produce that same result within them, the same result that you intend. Thank you, Lord, for the peace that we have and knowing that you are in control of human history and that we are on the right side of you. And we thank you, uh, thank Jesus for that, and we thank you in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen.